Lucky you. 36 best holes in golf. Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about golf. Sandy. Poker. James Bond. Horse racing. Double. Classic movies. Zenyatta. We have no script. Down the stretch they come. We are glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) We'll... Recording, recording. Billy Regan. Boy, what a day. Bobby Williams. What a day in spring. We have... Matt Venturi, who we've known many, many years, and gosh, he spans, I would think, from modern day golf all the way back to Gene Saracen. Not that he's that old, but he has stories that reach back, and we're going to hope to learn all of those stories today. And uh, thanks for jumping on uh, the Alternate Shots podcast, Matt. We we do show this on YouTube for video, and we're also on Spotify and places where you can get audio. So, Billy, oh, great. anything to add to that? I, I think Matt is a great guy, and I want to know more about his dad, who, from every story and every person I've ever heard that had any contact with him or didn't, he was a class act on and off the course and on and off the, the microphone. So I look forward yeah. to Thanks, learning Bill. more about a man who probably should be more recognized or maybe he is more recognized than I realized, but I know I admired him. Well, thank you very much. It was, uh, he was blessed in many ways and his friendships were probably the way that he, uh, was able to enjoy life most. So, uh, it's, it's nice to be thought of fondly and, and, and appreciate those, those nice, nice words. Thanks, Billy. Thank you. Yeah. So Billy and I have been thinking and talking a little bit. We think of your dad, and and your family and and how your family's affected golf, but also uh, popular culture. I don't know if I said that right, but you know, Ricky Fowler is a popular star. He's also a fantastic golfer, but you know, he's had a lot of tools to work with. You know, your dad might have done this one person at a time, but I remember somewhere reading that when he was thirteen, I guess his teacher told your mother he had a challenge. And that, you know, he's never going to overcome that. Maybe you could talk about that, the start in his life, which is kind of ironic to his second part of his life, where we all may have known know a lot of him as far as a commentator. Why don't you talk about that start in life for Ken? Yeah, I think, Bob, talking about how he had a terrible stuttering problem growing up. He really couldn't speak. Uh, used to come home uh, after being in fistfights. Uh, kids would beat him up and he'd hold his own, but he... Uh, he became a loner. And so he, he started playing golf because it was the way he thought he could teach himself how to speak as if he had a, uh, a gallery that he would speak to. And uh, that's how, uh, and he, and he said he picked a lonely game that he knew and he started playing golf. My grandfather was uh, doing some, uh, had, he was working down in uh, on the docks, but spent time at Harding park. And that's how my dad was able to get out at Harding park and start playing. So he started with that and uh, taught himself how to speak. And he was a man of few words over the years as a younger man. It, there were times like at, uh, at the uh, masters when I think Cliff Roberts was upset because he, he didn't have a lot to say after he, you were talking about earlier, he, he led as an amateur for all three, three days in the 56 amateur and 56 masters and then shot 80 the last day and lost by a stroke. And he kind of got out of there without saying much. And Cliff Roberts, I think was somewhat insulted by him, not, spending more time in front of the press. And that was a time that Eddie Lowry ended up writing a letter to Augusta national apologizing for, for my dad and signed my dad's name to it, which uh, my really? dad never forgot, but, oh and my then 58 God. was a 
kind of a controversial year that year when Arnold had a drop and Clifford Roberts just, you know, made the ruling. And then there was a lot of history there that eventually when he did, as you said, he got in the broadcast business, um, there, uh, it was a whole nother life there. And, and even at the masters, Cliff Roberts wasn't sure that, you know, my dad should broadcast because of all the memories in 1960, he lost by a stroke to Arnold, Arnold rallied in the last three holes, uh, and, uh, and beat him by a stroke in 60. And, uh, but, uh, Frank Jacinian told Clifford, he said, no, he said, you know, he'll do a great job. And he did for 35 years. And Dick, Dick Ryan had a lot to do with that too, to help put that contract together and get him in the broadcast booth. And, and the masters, you know, was classic with Jimmy, Jimmy Nance and everybody else over the years that he was able to work with. We're going to break when he was, down. when he was in, uh, I'm sorry, he was an amateur. Um, and then there was some incident that made him turn pro. Uh, it was really that event there, Bill, that after 56 masters, because 56 was, he came back from the war. He was in Austria and, uh, he won the San Francisco city championship. Harvey Ward had won it in 55. My dad took it back in 56. Uh, that night I was born and Harvey was at the hospital with my dad when, when I was born. San Francisco is, is Harvey your godfather? No, actually Byron Nelson was my Byron godfather. Nelson's your godfather. Okay. Yeah. But uh, so Harvey was there and then uh, they played the Bing Crosby Pro-Am that, that year, the next month. And that's uh, when the match was set up. And then it was after that, that next month in April when uh, uh, the, he played in uh, the 56 Masters. He actually played in the 54 Masters. He was stationed out of Fort Ord in uh, Monterey, California. And the last couple of weeks he was in boot camp and Bobby Jones wrote, wrote a letter to the U.S. Army General asking for permission for him to leave, which they gave him. And so he played in the 54 Masters. That was the first time he ever played. And then he came back to the boot camp and the, the staff sergeant said, you think you're a tough guy? He put him through boot camp again. <laughs> because <laughs> he had the privilege and then he was shipped overseas to, to austria yeah we were thinking about that i want to just go back a few years before the 50s so he was 13 when he decided to play this sport of golf was he playing before then or is that about when he started playing yeah about 12 13 years old is when he i think he first picked up a club when he was about 12 yeah i heard he picked up some some hickory shafted clubs or whatever but when did he get decent at it when he when could he shoot around par do you remember having those chats or know when he did that yeah 16 17 he was playing in a number of the juniors uh, competing the in the city championship uh but by the time he was 16 he was pretty much playing you know 16 17 par uh and i'm trying to think there were a couple uh tournaments that he we went back east for a junior tournament i have to go back and look at that one there bob but uh, but he was by the time he was 16, 17, he was he was hitting it pretty good. And uh, so late 40s, he was born in 32. So around 48, 47, 48, 49, because he had a pretty decent career. And uh, what we were thinking about. So we I'm not sure we got to the answer. Why did he go pro? Was it because of the whole thing with the match with the um, uh, the, the fellows that set that up and Harvey and he were amateurs. We don't or have to was it, or, yeah. or was he intending to be a pro all along? Right. Yeah. I, th I think now he, he, I think he was playing on staying amateur status. I think that was really the preferred, uh, approach anyway, but after the 56 masters, uh, that was a turning point and he felt that, um, uh, he, he that really made him want to go out and compete and compete as a professional. So it was after that that he that he ended up becoming a professional. But that was the turning point. 
And was yeah. that about the time when it was becoming more lucrative to be a professional golfer? Because I know earlier than that, there was no money in it. Yeah, not much. I tell you, he, uh, in 1958, I think he was the number two money winner and he, he won $6,500 the whole year. So there right. wasn't much in it, but I think, uh, you know, that time there was some transitioning with, uh, with Lowry and Eddie Lowry with, uh, the issues, you know, with the, uh, USGA. And I think, you know, he just, he didn't want to, he felt, look, if I'm going to get, if I'm going to compete, I'm going to get paid, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do it as a professional, uh, cause there's a lot of scrutiny being placed on, uh, on the amateur status well, and compensation mm -hmm. issue. Right. In that they time. did that to Bobby Jones, Bobby Jones had a, become a pro i guess temporarily after he made those tapes and made money that way and then they reinstated him but that's the yeah. other interesting thing that billy and i were talking about you think about bob hope and bing crosby they were born in the early part of the 1900s i think 1902 or 1903 sarah's and back then and then you have the triumvirate you have hogan you have sneed and you have your godfather they were born what 1912 or something like that and yep, the year Harvey, of the Titanic. Right. And then your dad and Harvey were a couple of years apart, 29 and 1929, 1932. And they came up just like, uh, well, at least, yeah, Harvey and your dad, they wanted to be amateurs. And Bobby Jones wanted to be an amateur. There's more money in it for them. And they got more prestige. And they didn't have to put up their own money to win their own money. It's an interesting time. And Palmer gets so much credit. He does deserve credit. But I never hear a lot of credit given to Ken because he was a superstar then and people wanted to see him. He was a popular culture uh, figure like, you know, he hung out with DiMaggio. He hung out with the Sinatra. Right. And and all the people that everybody but he made that at. transition from amateur to pro uh, and certainly made it look more attractive, I would guess, to people younger than him. Yeah, I think the athletes in those days, you know, they tend tend to hang together and 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 party together and play together. And, um, you know, I didn't see much of them growing up. I mean, I, I travel a little bit on, on tour and, and come out and stay out here with, uh, the Santangelos and the Dratties on, you know, on occasion, but, you know, he wasn't home much. And so, uh, that was his life. And, and I think, you know, practicing and, 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 and living at day in and day out, you know, that's, that's the way these athletes were. I mean, you know, he, his pinnacle was the 64 U.S. Open when he when he won that at Congressional and then got Sportsman of the Year that year, too, which was great, you know, for him. But it was downhill after that because that's when his hands went bad. But, you know, the uh, the life of a pro was it was a hard life. <laughs> How many people know that your dad was at the height of his career and then he we, he got what people get today by working on computers too much carpal tunnel syndrome. Right. That's right. He. Uh, they really didn't know what it was then, Bob. It was, uh, they went to Mayo Clinic and uh, he always told the story about how his father, my grandfather, Fred, who worked at Harding Park and was kind of his, his you know, guy over the years. And he never really said anything. My dad, you know, complimented him or just was always pretty tough on him, but he was driving him to the airport that day to take him to Mayo Clinic for his operation. And my dad said, to my grandfather, he goes, you know, dad, he goes, I don't know if I may never play again. Uh, you know, they're going to cut me open. I don't know, you know, if I may never play. And, and my grandfather said, it doesn't matter, son. And he said, well, what do you mean it doesn't matter? He says, you were the best I ever saw. And that was my dad's kind of vote of confidence to go in. He went to Mayo Clinic. They cut him open. They were pumping him with uh, uh, cortisone. They, they, it was a big test in those days. They had no idea. And so they, uh, they did a, 
cut him both both wrists and the left one came back the right one didn't and he had atrophy in the right hand and there was a, a doctor in akron ohio dr walter hoyt used to stay with him what wonderful family he ended up going cutting them open and seeing that the the scar tissue from the previous operation had grown over those tendons because otherwise they were going to amputate a couple of his fingers but you know after 65 that was his last tour victory it was a san francisco uh, invitational Harding Park, as a matter of fact, where he started his career, ended his career. And then he went in for the operation and uh, never really could get his hands back. And, you know, it's, it's all about your hands, you know. And so, and the TV ended up being a, a great, you know, kind of soft landing for him to move into. Yeah, he, hit, it, he hit that hard, though. I mean, he was as good as you get in commentary. Yeah, we'll get to that one. The the interesting thing here is that he came, looks like he came in second at the Masters three times. Twice he lost to Palmer, right? In 58 and 60? Something like uh, that? Yeah. I think. Yeah, so, 58. He actually, uh, 58, he, he wasn't second, but Arnold won at 58. And then 60, he lost. Arnold, uh, they, they had him in the uh, Butler cabin, my dad, getting ready for the green jacket. And Arnold was on 16, the par three, and it was above the the hole in the green and he putted and in those days you could keep the the flag in and the if the flag hadn't been in the ball was going in 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 the pond and so it stopped <laughs> he made par and then he went birdie birdie on 17 18 and beat my dad by a stroke and that was actually uh my mom always said that was the heartbreak because 58 my dad was was uh playing with arnold and uh they were on the 12th hole and this is where arnold had a had uh, a plug ball that he thought and uh he asked the he asked the official for a ruling and the, the official said well no it's not plugged yeah. so he chips the ball comes up short puts it misses the putt puts it in the hole and then says i don't think that was a good call so i'm gonna play another ball so he, he drops another ball plays a provisional makes par and uh they're walking to the 13th t and arnold says my dad oh they're not gonna let the second ball stand and my dad said you bet Bet they're not because you know you don't get a second look at the at the hole. You know you already exactly. if you dip the first one in, you wouldn't have played a second. But Clifford Roberts ended up you know ruling that the second ball stood, and my dad was very upset about that ruling. And uh, but I think he lost by two strokes that year. But but that year, you know, getting back to this, I think '58 when Clifford Roberts made that call, I think it had something to do with the '56 uh, event when my dad exited and didn't say much because again he, he is you know speech and everything he just he didn't say much and uh when eddie uh, lowry wrote that letter and and i think you know clifford you know ran augusta with the iron fist and so what they said went and so that that ruling my dad was very upset over the years with arnold he and arnold ended up eventually uh making amends here and and they they but my dad was very upset about that Can you call. imagine playing in a tournament as many times as your dad did and having the guy that there's 2,500 other people out there that are making decisions, but theirs don't count, who's sort of against you. Your dad had to go into, he walked, he drove up Magnolia Lane with a different feeling than everybody else because he had this guy Clifford Roberts there, who on an occasion or two, he changed the lineup with him playing with Byron Nelson, which would have been good for him. Probably wouldn't have shot 80, probably would have shot 68, right? One <laughs> by a long slide. And what a great thing that would have been an amateur. Bobby Jones wants an amateur to win the Masters, but yeah, ten to one. If he it, he led all three days as an amateur in '56, and when they paired him with 
uh, Sam Snead instead of Byron Nelson, because the tradition was to pair him with the low amateur with Byron Nelson. And Clifford Roberts said, you know, it would be a shallow victory if he played with Byron and won. So they paired him with Sam Snead. And he shot 80 the last day and lost by a stroke. But if he had played with Byron, I can tell you, dollars of donuts, you know, he, he would have won it. But uh, people may have said that Byron was coaching him around. But, you know, that's there was a lot of integrity there. That, that was Byron was a great, great mentor. He, he you know, the, I mean, from when he first met Byron through Eddie Lowry and, and really broke his swing down and rebuilt it, you know, Byron always had some wonderful philosophies. And, you know, one was always, you know, always ask what the course record is and who owns it. And if the lo local pro owns it, you never break it because he lives there and you don't, you're just visiting. And, you know, things like that. He, he learned from, from these men, great gentlemen of the game and, and, you know, and they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have had, had been to the rules ever, ever. Billy, you want to ask your question about Westchester? Didn't your father? Well, no, that sort of answered the question because I always heard the story about him with a wedge into the 18 at Westchester and the same thing. The club pro had the, uh, I, I think he pars it for course record and the pro had the, had the course record. So he picked the ball up and put it in his pocket. I don't know if that's exactly how that happened, but when I heard that, just the, the, the mere concept of it and you just reiterated it, is awesome. That's a class. That's a class act that can't be taught. Well, that's that was, and that wasn't in competition, people. though, right, Bill? That was uh, no, 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 not in the comp competition. Yeah. Is a different, different story yeah. altogether. Yeah, no competition. He always says different. No, I had heard that He'd story. Never that's picked exactly up in right. competition. No, no, you can't. That would be unfair to the field. That would be <laughs> not be a class move. No, no, that's right. Well, actually, I real quick. So I was listening to match and. My dad was supposed to play with Art Bell, who was the pro at Pebble, became the pro at California Golf Club later. And uh, and my dad was playing one day, again, casual round with Art Bell at Cal, Cal Club with uh, with Eddie, Eddie Lowry. And anyway, long story short, he's he's going to break Art Bell's record and Art's the pro there. And uh, so Eddie goes, what are you doing? You can't do this on the 18th. So he goes, don't worry. So he ends up, you know, puts and misses the putt. And, and she ties the record 63 and they walk off and art bell says to him i knew you'd choke he said to my dad <laughs> but when you look at the board it says art bell 63 kevin Turi, 63 tied three times <laughs> he's probably happier it's almost happier that he has it up there like that his legacies must just love that story right it's pretty funny if anybody's gonna beat well he would have beaten him the student but so uh yeah that's quite interesting his career and i saw it firsthand after he stopped playing came to play and do some work with don scott at wingfoot in the early 70s he played 10 holes on the east from the plaques hit every green in regulation the eighth east the par five into the second east into he was one over par he hit everything on the green his putting wasn't any good i, I attributed that to his 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 condition with his hands right and I knew he was a good putter in his day, but he teed a green and they did something at the end of this. They said, the sound guy said, we're doing a video. We need some sound of the ball hitting. So they went on one of the tees and he hit five, five irons, just like this. Boom, 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 boom. I went and picked him up. Boom, 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 boom. They weren't more than five feet apart. So his ball striking was remarkable. Yeah, well, you think about Don Scott and that, getting out of those traps and how good he was. 
when I when a little bit later when I was you know eight nine years old uh, traveling when he was on the tour still playing and he did lose the touch in his hand so I used to literally Bob I used to root for him to hit it in the trap not on the green because he could get up and down out of the trap better than he could on the on the greens he he three putt you know but uh, yeah that's ball striking Uh, I digress one second real quick I tell you this great. So I, I get a call about uh, three years ago from this woman. She goes, are you Matt Venturi? I said, yeah. I said, uh, was that your dad, Kim Venturi? I said, yeah, he was. She goes, well, I have something I think you'd like to have. And I said, well, what is it? And she says, well, I was cleaning out the attic of a good friend of mine, and I found this manuscript, and I want to send it to you. So she sends me this manuscript. This manuscript is from 1967. It's all typed on parchment paper. It's got a, uh, it's got a contract with Prentice Hall. And it was with Oscar Farley, who uh, helped write my dad's book, Come Back, after the, he won the U.S. Open. And it's from 1967 with these with about 150 still high resolution black and white pictures that and it's it's a book and it's entitled Tips for the Expert Golfer. And it's a time capsule. It's been it was lost. And I've got this. And getting back to your point about ball striking, all his tips from Hogan and Nelson, everything are in this piece that has been sitting there since 1967, this attic, because the gal who's uh, moving, her husband passed away and he was the person with Prentice Hall and and everybody forgot about it. So get back to, you know, where those tips came from when he uh, taught himself how to play. And then Eddie Lowry had uh, Byron Nelson help him, literally broke his swing down and came back. I mean, all those fundamentals you know, we're just uh, grounded in in that tradition. I think the swing's a little different now, but, you know, it's I, he could do anything with the ball. He can make the ball jump twice and go left. He can make it jump and pull back. He can make it go right. I mean, it was unbelievable what kind of feel he had when, his, when he had his hands. He also, I asked him a simple question. I think it was on 90 streets between the six and the seven. I said, do you like to hit a hard seven or an easy six? He says, Bobby, if I'm inside a three wood, I always take the longer club. Yeah. He never muscled anything. So did he taught himself, but then he was influenced by Byron Nelson and he broke a swing down. So Billy Harmon told Billy Regan and I, Claude Harmon um, learned how to change his swing because he had a big hook when he came to Wingfoot in 1941. He mm-hmm. learned from Craig Wood how to swing. He learned from Ben Hogan how to get around a golf course. Did your father have like kind of experience with some of those pros? Uh, mostly with Byron uh, because they did travel and did some exhibitions together that, uh, again, Ed Lowry had set up early on. Uh, he did spend, uh, I, I never met Ben Hogan, uh, so I can't really speak specifically except for what my dad shared with me. But um, I think he he probably really helped to refine kind of his, I mean, my, my dad was pretty hard when it came to the mental part of the game. We lost you a second. Your dad was pretty good at. Uh, at uh, here's what we're going to do. Matt, you, we lost you for a second. This is probably a good enough time. Let's sign off the. No, uh, just the Wait, go ahead. Game more. No, we, we've got a miss with you. Let's sign off and sign back again. Give me a minute. I have to save this first set of uh, recording. Sign off and sign back on again. We'll get a better connection. Right, Billy? Yep. Got it. Thanks for joining us today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your feedback. 
And please subscribe to the show and hit the bell icon so you get notified of new episodes. Mark Gable. Hit them hard and hit them off. That's 36 holes.